Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen here. We are here with Joan and you just heard who she is, but you're going to hear a lot more and we're going to talk about how amazing I feel. Not that it's all about me, but you need a testimonial here um, after doing one session with her yesterday. So Joan, thank you for coming on my show. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. And uh, also for joining the network. Ah, uh, yes. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, and boy, our network needs you. <laughs> so just to give more detail into what it is that you do and why you um, you know, started your podcast and all the things that you do, give more detail into your background and, and why this is your mission in life. To sum it up, when people ask me what my credentials are, I say I was really screwed up and now I'm fine. And it took me a long time to get from, I really screwed up to fine, because when I started this journey in the early 1970s, there wasn't a whole lot of information around. Actually, I started earlier than that when I first got into metaphysics and some oddball stuff. And in the 1960s, yeah, we were all out there uh, protesting, but we weren't into the inner stuff as much. And so over the year, and at the time, for a long time, I was sick physically, emotionally, and certainly financially. And, mm. and so in 1972, a doctor said to me, Joan, you're just a hypochondriac. You're never going to be healthy. You have to live, learn to live with all your physical disorders. And I thought to myself, that's not my story, <laughs> and I need to figure a way out. And so I started studying physiology and microbiology and homeopathy, and I mean, a lot of stuff that not many people knew about at the time. I was living in LA, there was one health food store, and uh, I read this book called Back to Eden, which was a real <laughs> back to nature kind of thing. And I was looking for answers. I found a doctor who told me, and I had been a suicidal depressive for 15 years. And I found this doctor who was an endocrinologist. And uh, he said to me, um, if you give up sugar, you won't be depressed anymore. And I mm -hmm. thought, what a concept. And that day I went home and gave up sugar and have not touched it since. That was August 11th, 1973. Wow, And that's a real life changer. It really is. And especially if you're sensitive. I had already had, I had the doctor that told me I could never be healthy. I had asked him to give me a glucose tolerance test. That's when he said, Joan, you're just a hypochondriac. <laughs> so, and it showed that I was severely hypoglycemic. And so that began a real journey forward. I had started meditating in 1972 and over the years, I found out once I gave up sugar, that was not the only thing that was wrong with me. I had a lot of physical things that were wrong with me. 
So it was a very long journey. In 1976, I think it was, I gave away everything I owned and went wandering, trying to figure out what life was about. And so it's gotten me to this point where I'm remarkably healthy. I'm going to be 78 at the end of the year, 70, 79 at the end of the year. I'm losing track. <laughs> and, and I'm happier and healthier, certainly healthier than most people my age. And, and I'm really looking forward to the next section of my life. Yeah, I am too. I'm glad to know you for this next section of your life because I need it for this next section of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the important thing is what, what I had to focus on was because I was broke. I, I had two millionaire brothers. I couldn't rub two pennies together. And I wanted to know why. Why could they make that kind of money and I couldn't? I was just as smart as they were. We had the same family background. So uh, if we do create our own reality, which I had come to believe before the 1970s, it was like, how do we do that? And so my work is very much built around that because money was an important thing in our family. I joke and say we were all five of us were Capricorns and we never touched each other. We just handed each other $20 bills. And, and um, it was all about money. And so I needed to learn more. And over the years, I really have come to understand how family of origin issues and cultural issues and our emotions affect our financial outcomes. And that is really the focus of what I do in a lot of ways. How do you, I mean, how do you approach someone where um, you hear all the things that they say in just their regular conversation about money that tells you why they're struggling, why they always struggle? and they haven't asked your opinion, but you can hear it. It's as plain as day. And maybe oh, yeah. you've been around them a few times and you hear the same statements again and again, while they're also saying, gosh, I really am stuck financially. I really want to get out of this. And, you know, you, you can see, well, maybe if you stopped saying these things all the time. No, uh, that's, you're, that's you're, not you what know. I see. That's not what, what I see. First of all, okay. if someone says to me, I need to find out what's blocking me from making more money. Mm -hmm. That's telling me they think there's something wrong with them that's blocking them from making more money. Okay. And what I have come to believe 100% is there's nothing wrong with you that needs fixing. Absolutely nothing. You just have habits that inform your decisions and those habits were formed very early in your life, sometimes in utero or before. <laughs> and that's what's affecting your decisions. So once you can recognize the habits and stop saying there's something wrong with you, then you can figure out how to change the habit. And that's, I have a new course out about that. And, and that's what it's about. It's like, why, why am I doing what I am doing over and over again? And how would I rather do it? People don't understand that they have a, a choice as to how they think, what they believe, and how they feel. And the feeling habits are what every, every decision you make has a feeling component, emotional component. And when you can really understand your own emotional makeup, you can understand why you're getting the results you're getting. Hmm. So, so, if someone, so if someone says to me, there's something blocking me, they're not asking the right question. Mm. Okay. So what if it's more like they're just telling a story and everything that they say about how they never have enough money, but they want more money. And that's the same story that you hear every time you see them. Well, first of all, I know it's never about money. If you think you don't have enough money, then you think you're not enough. Mm. Or you don't have enough people because money always comes from people. And you need to develop different skills. It's amazing how many people wonder what's wrong with them. And they've never tried to 
properly take care of their money. Money goes to people who love and take care of it, just like people. So if you have this attitude towards money, oh, I don't like to deal with numbers and money's not important to me and, and I can't be bothered keeping track of my spending and my earning, well, then you're not going to make a lot of money. I mean, in order to make money, you have to have financial skills. In order to make financial decisions, and every time you spend money, you're making a financial decision, in order to make financial decisions, you have to understand money. And most people think that money is just going to come flying in the window to take care of them. If their parents didn't take care of them properly, the money's not going to take care of you either. It's just, it's, mm. you're going to get what you, you expect to get. And, and money is not going to rescue you. You have to rescue you. And unfortunately, that's not what most people want. They want God, angels, whatever it is to come and rescue them. And you have to take care of yourself. It's like with health. When, when people start praying for better health, well, if you stop eating junk, you'll probably be healthier. You know? <laughs> if you'll get off your backside and go walking every day, you'll be healthier. Surprise, surprise. Right. <laughs> what are your thoughts on, um, you know, law of attraction and the secret and all that, all that stuff? Oh, <laughs> am, I, a, am I bringing up the can no, of worms? <laughs> no, that's, that's what pushes my button. There's a lot of fantasy thinking out of there, over the, out there. If you want to change your financial position, yes, you have to change your thoughts. But that's not going to automatically have you make more money. It may change for a while, but if you don't understand how your brain works and what it means to create new habits, it's not going to stick. And how many people, it's like as an entrepreneur, so many people in practice or in business, their income goes up and down. And, and people think there's something wrong with that. When in fact, that's how it works. It goes up when you're doing certain things. And I think it goes down very often so that you have the time and space to find out more about you. Because when you don't have as much money and you stop worrying about it, you do much deeper inner work. So I think the whole system that we have, uh, you know, there's something wrong with my thoughts. There's something wrong with my beliefs. There's something even wrong with my habits. No, they're just habits. And once you understand that there is no good or bad, there only is what is, and, and there's nothing wrong with you, you can say, okay, how would I rather think, believe, and, be, and, and feel? And I think it's easier to work on your thoughts and your feelings than your beliefs. And you can you know, use any way in. But if you're always picking on yourself, then you're going to feel less than and you're not going to have enough. It's pretty simple. It's not complicated at all. Yeah, I, it's so simple that you can miss it. Uh, it's kind of, you know, it's like where I have an issue uh, or I have in the past had an issue with anything to do with an Apple product because I come from a PC world. And the reason why is because Apple is so freaking simple. <laughs> <laughs> that it would seem obvious that, of course, that's how you would do something. But this overcomplication of everything is kind of what we get into a habit of expecting. Right. I don't like Apple because I don't like having to be in their very narrow uh, bubble. And, right. and their products, from my point of view, as a business owner who has to watch my costs, um, their products just are, are too expensive and they, and it, it wears out you know, too quickly. I, someone gave me, a, my brothers gave me an iPad for my birthday. And before you knew it, it was useless. It was just outdated. And that really annoys me. Mm. I, yeah, my, me and the whole Apple world, it's a whole other conversation, but, yeah, it, but I don't, yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't vibe with that. Okay. But the point is you have a choice. You have a choice. <laughs> The point is you have a choice right. and people don't realize that they have a choice as to how they feel. 
And to me, your feelings are the energetic force behind your decisions, which are, the, their decisions are what create your outcomes. So if, if you're always in an expectation of something negative happen, for example, if you, you can have a, a disappointment habit, if in your life over and over again, you want something, you go out after it and, disappoint, and you're disappointed, I call that a disappointment habit. There's not something wrong with you that you're always disappointed. You just expect to be disappointed and you are. Well, that, what mm. that tells me is that the ex expectation is what creates it, not because there's something wrong with you. Okay. You, you talked to me also about touch um, when we had our session, and that was ex so profound to me. Can you explain um, that to our listeners? Okay. So what we need on a very basic level is to feel touched and connected. That's one of our basic needs. I think on the, I forget where it fits on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but you can't feel secure if you don't feel connected. Uh, we have this as humans, it's a survival technique to be connected. And when we were roaming around in bands or in tribes, we were automatically more connected than we are today. And so we've, we've kind of lost our sense of understanding that we absolutely need to connect to other people. That is what makes us comfortable. And touch, when, when little babies are born, primitive people do much better with babies than civil, so-called civilized people because they're being touched all the time. The mothers carry them on their back and the whole tribe takes care of the baby. And so they're getting touched. In our world where babies are wrapped up in a blanket and put in a bassinet, they're not getting the touch they need. And so many parents, so many parents don't know how to touch their children. You know, they're trying to be the best parents possible, but, uh, but they don't touch, the, the kid needs touch. Uh, and now in, in the world we live in today, where people sit with each other with their nose in their smartphones, um, it's causing all sorts of problems. So yep. one of the symptoms of touch deprivation is not making a lot of money. Because mm -hmm. one of the, if, you, if you're touch deprived, then you expect to be touch deprived. Because being touch deprived is your habit. Do you understand that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And when you're touch deprived, one of the thing that, things that goes with that is a habit of longing. Always longing for touch. If only they would touch me. But we kind of push that away and we eat, drink, gamble, do all sorts of things because we don't know how to deal with that longing. So when you're longing for more money, if you can imagine that you're longing for touch, humans touch each other in a number of different ways. In our culture, we don't actually touch each other much except when we shake hands or we do the perfunctory hello, goodbye, hug. There, right. And even a lot of people don't do that. In Santa Fe, it's a very huggy, kind of city. So we get a lot of that. But other ways we touch each other are when we listen to each other, when we smile at each other, and when we hand each other money. Because when I hand you money, I'm saying, I like you. I, I, I want to give you my energy. And, and here, I'm touching you. But most people don't know how to feel the touch. Can you see that? Yes, but what, what if it's, um, you know, you're paying the IRS. Are you saying to the IRS, I love you and I want to touch you, so here's my check. Okay, well, actually, you, you, there's nothing, you know, the IRS has a bad rap. 
They're basing. Yeah, now I'm just using that as an example. That's all. Right, but it, you're going to think about the IRS the way you think about your parents, because the IRS mm. represents an authority figure. Right. So, and and that's going to happen with doctors, with lawyers, with bankers, uh, because when you're with people like that, you go into that inner child that's inside of you. I mean, in my book, Build Your Money Muscles, I talk about the boarding house. You know, your body is like a boarding house and inside is the, the creative inner child, the wounded inner child, the, the benevolent adult, the wise investor, the rebellious teenager. And, the, and usually with money, people's wounded child or rebellious teenager is in charge. And you got to get the benevolent parent in charge. That's the idea. Mm. <laughs> but most people aren't in touch with their benevolent parent because they're always fighting. You know, they're, they're coming up with all the feelings that they had as children of being abused or neglected or picked on. And so there's that anger and deprivation and shame. And, and all, that's all playing out through your money because whatever you're feeling about your money is never about money. Right. It's always about the habitual feelings you have about yourself. Can you talk a little bit about how, because uh, a lot of my, my listeners in particular are people who have had early childhood trauma. A lot of them are people who the touch that they did get from a parent or adults that were supposed to be taking care of them is, you know, abuse, sexual abuse, oh, yeah. uh, verbal, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. or physical abuse. And so when touch, not only are we, you know, a touch deprived society, but then when touch is not safe. That's right. And, um, and there's a lot of different ways that people can be touched unsafely. I have a sense that my father never touched me inappropriately but there was a lot of sexual tension in the house mm -hmm. and there was a lot of emotional abuse. Um, they appeared to be really great parents, but for me, it was really difficult. And the, the thing is, your, any kind of abuse or neglect, if any of your parents were alcoholics or drug addicts, if your parents got divorced, there's all sorts of ways that children are traumatized. I, I really like the uh, adverse childhood experience test. And it says, if you get even one on that test, you're screwed. And, yeah, I think I was an eight on that. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> right. and so once, for, for me, first of all, if you want to get over the wound, you have to make a decision that you're willing to do that. Mm. Because when you've been wounded that way and you expect to be wounded in life, you just, you, you use that story over and over again. And each time you tell a therapist or your friends or whatever, that abuse becomes part of your self-concept part of your personal identity. I am a person who was abused. And at some point, and this is not easy, but I think it's a necessary part of the process. You have to make the decision that I'm going to figure out what I'm feeling as a result of that abuse. And I'm going to work through that feeling. So let's look at, you want to look at some of the feelings that come yeah. from abuse. Okay. It's more than just, I feel abused. It's, I feel angry because mm -hmm. anger is a normal response to being violated. Right. Okay. So I feel angry. I feel ashamed of who I am and what I've done. I feel deprived because I didn't get the touch and love I needed, I got this weird kind of touching or what, whatever was going on there. I feel trapped because I, I, when you're being abused, 
you're a child and you're trapped in the situation. So one of the ways that gets acted out through money is to feel trapped by debt, trapped by your earning, the, the earning position that you have, trapped by your student debt, all the, when anything that has to do with money, you can feel trapped. I'm trapped in my job. I'm trapped in my marriage. So if trapped was one of your responses, and it usually is, that's one of the habits that you're acting out through your life stories. So we, oh, and the, the, the fifth one, in my book, uh, Build Your Money Muscles, I outlined the five main feelings and the ones I just mentioned. And the other one is aloneness. And that's really cuts to the chase because we need connection, as I said. But when, when you're being abused and you can't fight back, you can't tell anybody, and you think there's something wrong with you because you're being treated that way, you also feel incredibly alone. And when someone tells me how alone they feel. I, have, I will sometimes get clients from financial advisors because I'm helping people understand why they're having problems with their money and, and people drive financial advisors nuts when the market goes down and they think they're gonna lose anything. So I was sent this, uh, this retired teacher who I have permission to tell her story um, and, and she, she was driving her financial advisor crazy, calling up all the time and worried about her money. And he said, go talk to Joan. And <laughs> uh, so when I, I said hello, and the first thing I said to her was, what was your abandonment story? Because when you're afraid of losing your money, of being without resources, you're afraid of being alone. So, and as soon as I asked her what her abandonment story was, that she's done some inner work, she said, my mother was a narcissist and my father was an alcoholic. That, that's it. That's the explanation. So, as, as, so, so of course, of course she has a fear of abandonment because that's the only possible reaction to that kind of treatment. So people act their their feelings out, their emotions out through their money. And that fear of loss, because, and why is it fear of abandonment? Money doesn't just fly in the window normally, it comes from people. And so when you are afraid of running out of money, you're afraid of running out of people. Mm. And we absolutely need people in order to thrive. So on some level, you're afraid of dying. Fascinating. Yeah, and oh. as I said, I just want to emphasize, as long as you think there's something wrong with you that needs fixing, you're not going to get this. You have to make a decision that I'm willing to w look at the fact that I'm fine the way I am. I just have habits that aren't working for me. Right, right. And it, it, it takes, it's a reworking of how even your brain thinks the thoughts that you think in your head what your what your um default template is in terms of how you think about things it's it's a rewiring of the brain it's yes. building it's that simple it's just a matter of building up new neural pathways so when you tell me that a person's you know how do you, how do you get over being abused as i said first you have to make the decision that you don't want to carry this with you the rest of your life i know a guy who's in his 70s and the minute you meet him, you know that he had this horrible family and he'll never get over it. Mm. That's who he has become. I, I didn't want to be, I, and I acted out the, the problems through my physical body. And I decided to be healthy. Well, I didn't just pray for health or hope to get healthy. I stopped eating sugar 46 years ago and I make sure to exercise and get enough sleep and meditate every day and, and I don't drink alcohol. So uh, these are all decisions that you're going to make and, it, and it's very 
hard to do all of this alone. Because if you're stuck in being who you are, you don't have a roadmap for becoming who you want to be. So you're going to, and if, if longing is one of your habits, then you're going to always be longing for what you don't have. So one of the things you have to learn is how to be satisfied where, with where you are at this moment. That's tough for most people. They're afraid right. that if they're satisfied, they'll never have any more than they have today. Yes, exactly. Where does that come from? Because we're wired to always want more. It's a survival technique. Okay, uh, I, I, got, I ate the, bana- the, the monkey. This comes from primates. You know, the monkey goes after the banana and gets the banana. Well, it's not satisfied because it knows that survive to survive, it needs another banana. (laughs) So we're always looking for the the next thing. And and that's, but there's a good part of that, which is what, where ambition comes in and our our wanting to be greater than we've been, but it can become an obsession. I mean, people are so afraid to let go because they're afraid they're going to be left alone and they won't have any resources. When as, as, uh, as humans, we have mental capacity and creative capacity that other species do not have. And that capacity comes from our ability to tap into what could be called the universal consciousness. I call it the voice of the us, where we're all connected. Once you realize we're not separate beings and you can tap into the the more of life, you can feel connected even when you're standing in a room by yourself. Yeah, I completely agree. Give our listeners uh, an idea of what it, what, it is to work with you, how that process goes, what they can do to have a, a session with you or begin, the, you know, take the beginning steps of working with you to choose to change some things about themselves, change their habits. Well, to do a, a session with me, um, some people are afraid to start at that level. So mm-hmm. I have a group. Um, it's called the Intention Plus Action Coaching Group, where we say what we're hoping to achieve and we plan out the actions we're going to take. And, um, and from how they talk, I can ask them the emotion-based questions, you know, and help them understand how to recognize their own habits. I also do with the group this thing that you uh, experienced yesterday called mm-hmm. a zap. I call it a zap. <laughs> Although I'm <laughs> looking for another word like personal power release. You know? <laughs> Got to give it a, a marketing thing. I think it sounds great as the zap. But. As, as zap. Okay. And so I, and I do a groups, a group zap for the group um, at least once a month. There are two meetings a month. And on a one-to-one basis, I, this is for people who are really serious about making dramatic progress in three to six months. And, you know, my, when I start a a session, I ask just a couple of questions. I ask, what did your father do? What did your mother do? How many siblings did you have? And what was your parents' relationship with money? And where were you in the birth order? And that takes about 10 minutes because people always have a story. Well, I had a stepfather or a stepmother and my mother <laughs> died when I was four or whatever. So I get this, the basic story from those five questions. And, and then I can help people. And then the way I work, if you tell me a story, I put myself in the story and I say, how would I feel if I were in that situation? Because we all have the same feelings. My group of feelings might be different from yours. But if you tell me you were abused or your parent was an alcoholic or any of those things, 
I can imagine what it feels like. And because I'm so in touch with my emotions that I'm not afraid of your emotions. Mm. And so I can get to those fairly quickly when I do the one-to-one, the, the zaps that I do are a little more intense because I, I not only feel your feelings, but I make the sound of the feelings and you know, I'm touching you. Mm-hmm. Inside. You know, that's the strength of it. You feel, you feel heard in a way that it's difficult to feel heard. Yes. I mean, I, I said when we, you know, worked together yesterday and then you did the zap, um, I haven't gone to that place um, with with anyone else other than my friend Martha, who I've talked many times about on um, on my show, and she does come on and do shows with me. So it was interesting to, you know, the minute you said close your eyes and, you know, picture, and I won't go into it because it's private for whoever's doing it, but I immediately went to another place and it was powerful. And I felt you, this was over the phone, and I felt you touching me uh, on the top of my head or my solar plexus or, you know, all of those places. I you know that area of my body um, could feel you doing that. It was extremely powerful. And um, I think I had told you, you know, I, the, my story was, and a story I had been telling myself lately was, why is it that I can only feel uh, joyous and um full of wonder and all that when some kind of narcissist is in my life. (laughs) I got to that place where I was like, you know, I'm thinking about, I miss feeling joyous. And when is the last time that I have felt that? Or what are the times that I have felt that in the last, you know, decade? Well, I can count it all the times that somebody had come into my life that just pursued me like crazy, almost got a cavity with how many sweet things they're saying. And then they turned out to be, you know, someone. Okay. So let's look at that. Let's let's look at that. You had an expectation because Mm -hmm. of what happened in the past. You had an expectation of that. And so that happened on a thinking, feeling, believing level on an Mm -hmm. expectation level. And so you did a perfect job of creating yep. what you needed to express that feeling. But what happens is when those things we anticipate happen, we don't say, oh, good job. Look what I created because I needed it. We go, oh, yeah. what's wrong with me that this happens to me over and over and over again? Yes. Okay. And traditional therapy tells you, and I've, we have so many therapists and other people even on this network that will say, that will put it in that negative tone of, okay, you are creating that, which I look at, it's very victim shaming, but I love the way you just flipped that into, we don't have to go there. That doesn't help anything by doing that. No, there's nothing wrong with you that needs fixing. You just had experiences that created habits and you're just repeating those things. It's it's the, the habitual emotions that are the creative force behind your life stories. And, and this is, a, I'm going to give you a sentence here that doesn't make sense to most people. The situation doesn't cause the emotions. The emotions cause the situation. Mm. And, and, and you have to remember that you learned your mother's feelings when you were in the, in the womb. Because those molecules of emotion were going through your system and became part of who you are or who you think yourself to be. They aren't necessarily genetic, although they can be. But, and, and then all the cultural stuff. I work with a lot of minorities, Black, Asian, uh, Indian. I mean, just a whole bunch of them. And I really, and I'm being Jewish, I see that that our cultural background affects our life outcomes because of the beliefs and everything we bring into our ourselves from that background. So if we look at 
just unpacking what you're saying. So if I created this situation because I wanted that feeling. Uh, uh, well, I wouldn't use the word want. I would use the word need. Need. Okay. Needed that feeling of joyousness and so on. Okay. And, but here's what, here's what happened. Because there's a lot of unpacking that I could do around that. That doesn't matter. But, but what was interesting was last night and before even last night, I was thinking, you know, I want to get back to that place where I can create that, where it's just me. I feel joyous because of what's going on in my life. I'm not having it happen through the effort of someone else that turns out to, you know, have a negative experience at the end of the love bombing or whatever it is. And what I experienced last night was, oh my gosh, after we did our session, I had a night of joy that continued on into today. And it was wonderful to sit and go, I am the only one here. Now, have I connected with people all day? Yes. I had a lovely, lovely um, day connecting with people and really feeling touched and feeling like I really touched them. And that was amazing. I was way more open to experience those things with these incredible, lovely people that are my friends. But the time that I felt the joy after we talked, I was here by myself. And that Uh was awesome. (laughs) Right. And, and, And my goal was to feel that sense of peace and love and joy as the base of my being. Does that mean I'll have all good days? Some days I'm in a creative quandary. You know, it's like my trying to figure out how to make zaps available to people and and to recognize how much fear might still be within me and not wanting to put it out there. You know, I mean, so we still go through that kind of stuff, but that isn't pain. That's not pain. That's creative uh, you know, the, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word that my spiritual teacher used to use. I'll think of it. And so, so we don't expect, you know, roses and fancy music all the time. Life right. happens, life happens, but it's like getting ready for this moment that I reached a couple of months ago where I was in this place of perfect peace. Everything in my house started aging out. I had to get a new refrigerator, a new computer, a new window, $7,000 worth of stuff in a year that I wasn't making as much money as I had been making because I was doing all this inner work. And I knew at every step that it was a good thing that was happening because I was getting rid of the old Mm -hmm. and getting ready for the new. And when my car was broken into and my purse was stolen and I had to get all new bank accounts, I thought, wow, I'm getting all new numbers. And I believe that we live (laughs) in this dualistic reality and there's a plus and a minus to everything. And it all depends on how we look at it. Right. And boy, that can mess with how you are told to think, how... Mm -hmm you are, um, there's so much shame that gets passed around. And so if you, if you do go that way, you could be looked at as, well, you live in la la land or you have magical thinking or whatever. And there is that kind of stuff too. So it isn't that magical thinking isn't real. It's just, um, magical thinking, magical thinking is I'm going to sit here and not do anything different, and I'm going to win the lottery. <laughs> right. That's, That's magical, magical thinking. Magical thinking. <laughs> yes. Right. But choosing to be positive. I'll, I'll give an example of some way that I, I feel like I, I was able to do that. I um, There was a situation I was in. It was very uncomfortable uh, with someone that was very drunk and an angry drunk, and I did not know this about them. And I chose to get out of the situation where I knew a couple of years ago, maybe I, well, not maybe, I would have just uh, been sort of frozen in fear and stayed in the situation and tried to manage that chaos, which would have been unmanageable. But this me of today went, I'm out. And 
I could have, I had all these people say, oh, that's too bad that that happened. And I just wouldn't go there. It wasn't me being magical thinking. It wasn't me trying to force something. I really just felt like, no, there's good out of this. This happened for a very good reason. I made some great connections, had some healing with my mom uh, um, from this situation. So for me, even though maybe it looked awful on the outside and it had some awful feelings within it, the outcome of it was phenomenal. And I chose to look at it that way. That's not magical thinking in my mind. No, no. I made a choice to see the yes. positive and to look for and create. It wasn't just that I sat there and magical stuff dropped in my lap. No, I had to do some stuff like get back in contact with my mom and do some healing there. That took effort on my yes. part. So I see, I guess what I'm saying is I see what you're saying about the choice and doing work around it. it. That is not magical. That's, hey, I'm choosing to be positive and I'm choosing to positively utilize what I've learned to have a, have a different way of feeling about this situation. Is that and yes, and what you're choosing, what you're choosing is to have a different response mm-hmm. to familiar yes. stimuli. And that's how you change a habit, is by, yes. by, by developing a new response to familiar stimuli. So when someone starts playing Ain't It Awful with you, <laughs> you don't play the game. Or, or if someone's doing Love Me, Love Me, Leave Me Alone, you recognize the game and you don't play it. And it, so this takes awareness, a decision right. The decision is actually the decision to change. I'm going to alter something that I have in my being now. I'm not going to think I'm doing it because something's wrong with me, but because I'm making a different choice. And I have to practice that choice over and over and over again until it becomes a habit. Yes. It's a wonderful way of looking at things that come up in your life that feel, maybe they feel awful or scary or what have you, and not making that a story of tragedy all the time. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that people have different levels of afraidness. <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. I see people jumping off of mountaintops in those, in those bat suits, you know, where they go fly. <laughs> Um, right. I, I'm, I, lighting. Yeah. I, I, I'm not ready to do that. Um, but I did get my pilot's license and I know that a lot of people are afraid to do that. So right. we all, you know, and, and when I, I remember the day that I had a solo, what happens is you, the, your instructor says to you, today's the day you're going to solo. And the instructor gets out of the plane. And I sat there on that tarmac for a good 30 minutes trying to decide whether I was going to fly or die. And because I am, <laughs> because I am who I am, I flew. A lot of people get up to that stage and never get off the ground as a solo flight. Mm. So, you know, it's feel the fear and do it. Anyhow, whatever you got to tell yourself, I, I tend to be a bit of a risk taker because I learned along the way that it's really hard to die. Um, I've come close on a number of occasions because I had so many physical problems, um, but I'll push it to the end. I'll, I'll make the choice between flying and dying. Yeah, there were years where I wanted to die. Me, oh, I, I was a suicidal depressive for 15 years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, when you want to just have this life be over, Oh my gosh, yeah. And now I, you know, I don't feel like that, which is lovely. Yeah. It's yeah. lovely to, to be in that space. So, well, there, there's way more to get into and we just got a little cream on the top. There's so much <laughs> more in the cup. <laughs> so, yeah. tell, <laughs> tell my listeners how they can find out more about you and the name of your podcast so they can okay. look for it. Uh, my podcast is The Prosperity Show. And I've been doing it for five, over five years. So there's almost 400 episodes. Um, on my site, prosperityplace.com, I have a, a blog, articles, and 
uh, courses and books. I, you know, inexpensive things like heal the heal your financial shame and over and end over earning. And there's a audio on aloneness and another one on anger and uh, everything relates to money. That's on my site and my book and my, the book of, of the journey where I gave everything I, I owned away is called the search for connection. And that everything is available via prosperityplace.com. I love this because we don't have anyone on the network that talks about this. And it's such an important part of our mental well-being, our mental yeah. health. And I also can look at this network since I created it and other people now keep it created with me, all the podcasters, but I love looking at it and going, oh, this, all of these shows that are on it now, which is over 55, they all say something about the creator, the original creator of this thing, which is me. Yeah, right and 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 it took be... 55 shows to get you on <laughs> yeah. well i mean it, it happens when it happens you exactly know. and and if anyone wants to know about the zaps i i'm no. really coming out of the woo closet and telling people about this they just have to write to me because there's not much stuff on the site about it yet so they just have to yeah. write to joan at prosperityplace.com yeah, so everybody, J-O-A-N at prosperityplace.com. And uh, please do, because it was transformative for me, even just after the first one. I can't wait to have to do more. And I realized that I'm empowered, that I'm making a choice to do this. Well, I'm so glad that you liked it, because... Um... <laughs> It's my, it's my, I used to call it my secret stash, but I'm right. opening up my stash to the world. Fantastic. Well, Joan, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. <laughs> and thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.